good morning and happy new year. It's great to have you with us as we start a brand new year and a brand new book of the Bible to dig into some incredible stories. Our teaching team has been working on this series for about six to nine months and I can't wait because today we're going to actually touch on some pretty emotional stuff, having a grieving soul. We're going to talk about having a thankful soul. We're going to hear stories about the ark and how it gets stolen and you know, gets stolen before another god and God chops the head off the other god and then God gives them all hemorrhoids. It's just amazing stuff. And then we're going to, we're going to learn about David and how he's going to ultimately rise to power and kill Goliath and how King Saul's going to come in place and he's going to come crashing down and David's going to rise up. It's going to be an amazing month together as we dive into the book of 1 Samuel. In fact, we're calling this series Speak because one of the theme verses... Uh, of the entire series comes out of chapter 3, where it says, Then Eli perceived that the Lord God had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, it shall be that if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And we're going to look at, in this series, how do we sensitize our heart to hear from God? And many of you sent me notes at how much you appreciated being able to watch our Christmas Eve service with your family. So I'm glad that was a, a real help to you. We do know there's still a little bit of a delay in the app. So we're working on that just to let you know. But many of you said how much you enjoyed it. You watched it on their website, on your phones and things like that, and TVs at home, and just really enjoyed having an extra candlelight service. So that again, this is another one of the services begins video on demand starting today. So on Mondays, you'll be able to watch all of our services, pass those on, email those if they're helpful as well. So a little bit about 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, um, we know it as 1 Samuel. It was originally known as 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Kingdoms. And so 1 Samuel was the book of 1st Kingdoms. The book mentions the name Jehovah, who God is, somewhere around 60 times. And it's going to introduce us to a brand new name for God that we're going to discover today in the opening chapters, the Lord of Armies. When you think about biblical chronology, you have you know, Abraham, and then Abraham's descendants through Joseph end up in Egypt, and then they get exited from Egypt through Moses. They get to the promised land after 40 years of wandering, and when they arrive there with Joshua, Moses has died now at this point. They conquer the land, they divide it up, and then they go into a time of the judges, a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Samuel sits right there during the time of Judges before we get to the time of Kings, which will happen by the end of the book, we'll have our first king. So think Samuel is living at the same time as Samson. So Samson is one part of the country, Samuel is in another part of the country, but they're living during a time where there's just moral ambiguity, everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. And our story begins by hearing about a young couple, or older couple rather, Elkanah, and his wife Hannah, and they're struggling with barrenness. And they are on their way to Tabernacle to be near the Ark of the Covenant. And it's here we learn how to grieve. In fact, this is our key verse for the day. In fact, let me show you our key verse because we're going to learn from Hannah exactly how we grieve. So it says in 1 Samuel, She was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish. And she said, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. When you're in bitterness, when you're in anguish, do you know how to pour out your soul before the Lord? And that's what we're going to learn about today. I'm going to tell you some reasons why we need to learn how to pour out our soul, and then some ways that we can learn how to pour out our soul before God, so that we can find the shalom or peace that comes from hearing from God, having Him speak to us, 
in whatever our circumstances are. Now, this book also is a very personal book for me. God has spoken to me many times in my life. In fact, just recently, he gave me a very clear word directly from the Bible to a circumstance I had uh, through one of the later chapters I was studying. But a couple of years ago, my mom told me that Hannah had so impacted her that though my mom didn't struggle with infertility, my mom was so impacted by Hannah's dedication of her firstborn that she said when I was born, I was her firstborn, that she dedicated me in the same spirit uh, that Hannah did. And I came to Christ, my parents say, when I was two years old. They say I made a clear profession of faith at two and just had all kinds of spiritual questions and they really haven't stopped this many years later. And I really dedicate that to God's drawing of me and my mom's decision to dedicate me to God the same way Hannah did. It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about children's ministry, because I feel like children's ministry is not babysitting. What we do here is really developing young hearts to fall in love with Jesus, as we're going to see by the time we get to chapter 3. Amazing work God's doing through a 10-year-old named Samuel. So let's start by looking at, like, why. Like, why should you learn how to pour out your soul? What are the reasons for that, and who are these characters? Our first character we're introduced to, in verse 1, it says, Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, and of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he's got a credible family lineage. He comes from the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. So what the Bible wants you to know up front is there is a long legacy coming through this man. That he said, he's been a son of a son of a son of a son of a long legacy. And so he really wants to have a son to pass on this legacy so his son can be part of the family uh, genealogy and legacy. And he lives in a very interesting place, Ramathium Zophim, and it has a very interesting meaning. In fact, here's a picture of that location if you were to visit it today. And you'll see right in front of it is a watchtower. In fact, the name means the heights of the watchtower. So this family legacy they had was to be watchers, You'd be in a watchtower and you could look over and maybe as the foreman, tell people what to do in the vineyard, look for foxes trying to eat stuff. A big tall watchtower, you could actually see armies coming in the distance. So his family legacy is from a town that's known from watching over God's work and it being at the heights, the top of their game. So the idea that he can't have a son is a pretty big deal. And even though he's from a family known for being watchmen, we immediately discover that he's not watching over his own moral life very well. The culture of the judges, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, he's already gone wayward. In fact, the very first thing after we learn about his family legacy is his waywardness. Now, he had two wives. Mm -mm -mm. No, that's not God's ideal. It's not what God's plan was. But the culture around him, everybody did it. And the name of one was Hannah, which means grace. And his other wife's name was Peniah, Peninnah, which means the pearl of the sea. So grace and Peninnah, the pearl of the sea. Now Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this is going to set up an unbelievable conflict. You get off 5 degrees, 10 degrees, 20 degrees with God, and the consequences end up affecting everybody involved. This man went up from his city yearly. He's got a yearly tradition of worshiping and sacrificing and giving to the tabernacle and to sacrifice to, and here's the first time we hear this word in the whole Bible, the Lord of hosts. It's a very special name for God, the Lord of hosts. We'll talk about it a little bit later. It's the first time it's introduced that this is a God who is the Lord of all hosts. And they come to a place called 
Shiloh. Now, if you'd asked Elkanah, he may not even realize he was wayward. He'd say, well, everybody else has multiple wives. What's the big deal? Those are called sins of omission and commission, the things we know we're doing wrong and the things that we've so desensitized ourselves to God's word, we don't even realize how off track we are. In fact, I was in Africa several years ago looking at uh, some missionaries who were working with several tribes. I met this tribesman, and there in that area of Africa, uh, they celebrated your place in the pecking order, your legacy as a family, you know, how prosperous you were based on three things. Your number of cows, your number of houses, and your number of wives. Maybe even in that order. And as these families were coming to know Christ, they were trying to figure out, we don't want to break up these families, but we need to change the culture so that we start moving toward monogamy and one man and one woman the way God intended. Because what we're going to discover is that the God of the Bible is a God who draws near to wayward people. And Elkanah is already wayward. And so is the priest, you're going to find out in a moment. God draws near to them. And so as they journey their way to Shiloh, Shiloh is a location in the Bible that you can go to today. It's incredible topography. And that section I highlight in yellow is probably the area the tabernacle was sat at the time. Probably still using fabric like it was with Moses, but it's been there for 350 years at this point. In fact, why don't you journey with me? Let's go on location, and let me tell you what it would feel like if you were Elkanah, and you were Hannah, and you were traveling to this location. First thing you would notice is the incredible hillside that went around this area in Shiloh. You and your wife are traveling together. You've been hiking for a long distance. This is your yearly trip to sacrifice. The yearly opportunity to connect with God. You also have another reminder. It's been one more year we have not had children. As you come up, you'll see there's archaeological uh, finds that have been found here. As you walk down the path, it showed there was a marketplace, villages. Maybe even the home of Eli was one of these archaeological finds, because he probably lived just outside the tabernacle. Though we'll find it looks like Samuel was living and sleeping maybe in the tabernacle. As you come up over the section, you're getting some food, you're seeing other people with their feasts sitting out on the countryside on the, as they've got their meals and the food that they've sacrificed, they're eating the other pieces. And just on the other side of the hill, you've come out to Tabernacle. And this is where Elkanah, and this is where his wife find themselves. And now we find three reasons why we need to learn how to grieve or pour out our soul before God. The first is to deal with her own waywardness. There's a sense in which all of us are very, very wayward. And that is not only true of Elkanah, it's certainly true of the priest himself. See, the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. As we're going to discover in a few weeks, these guys are disasters. We're not just talking about wayward, we're talking about they moved into evil. Hopni and uh, and Phinehas are stealing from the church treasury. When people come to sacrifice, they're taking chunks of the meat that do belong to them based on Levitical code and more that don't belong to them. And their father, the priest Eli, is not calling them to account at all. Second thing that's happening is that they are basically turned God worship into like Baal worship and they're sleeping with all of the, the women that are coming in to be part of the sacrifice. So everything about God's worship is being corrupted and Eli has not had the moral fortitude to deal with that. And yet the Bible is about a God who draws near to wayward people. And one of the things we need to learn to grieve or pour out our soul before God is to say, God, I'm wayward. 
I'm off base. I'm off track. I've been wandering around this last year, and this year I have got to realign my heart to yours. I've got to hear from you again. I've got to be sensitive to your nudgings again. God, help me. I'm grieving my own waywardness and ability to talk myself into anything. Now we get introduced to Hannah, and this is the second reason we want to pour out our soul, is sometimes we need to learn how to grieve what God has held back. There are times you want something in your life, and God has held it back. And that is certainly true with Hannah. And sometimes we're just grieving that God isn't doing something good that we want, that we long for, that we hoped for. And it says, whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penah, Penanah, his wife, and her sons and daughters. She's like fertile myrtle. She's having lots of kids here. But to Hannah, who couldn't have children, he gave a double portion. Now, if you look at different English translations, they're not sure how to translate this. Some people say a weighty portion. Some people say a double portion. And some people mention something about nostrils. What? So he gives a double portion for Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. He knows his heart's, his wife's heart is broken. And so is his. That it's maybe been over 20 years they've been praying for having a child. And this phrase, the double portion, is the idea of flared nostrils is the Hebrew. That when he gave this double portion of meat, it was a way in which he, like when you cry or when you weep, your, your nose kind of flare up as you're getting angry or getting weepy or, or getting out of control. This gift of offering was his way of saying to God, oh, I know you've held this back, but I love my wife. I know she's hurting. And this is my way of saying I'm hurting with her. It was an expression of empathy. And I don't know what God has held back for you, what you're hoping for 2020, that you still feel like, I've been praying about this for years. It's someone to come back, someone to stop this behavior. It's about having a child. It's about getting healed from a health issue. And no matter how how much you pray, it's just always out of reach. Because the Lord, Lord, had closed up her womb. And if that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse because she's got this sister wife. And the sister wife is a tyrant. I mean a tyrant. In fact, they refer to her as her rival. Her rival provoked her severely. Provoked severely. To make her miserable. Ha ha ha! You can't have kids. And I can. Just imagine the pain. The heart of a woman who would rub this in another woman's face. And not just once. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year after year she was made miserable. And she went up to the house of the Lord. That she continued to provoke her. And therefore she wept and she couldn't even eat. Her heart was so broken. Part of grieving is saying, God, there's some things I'm praying for and I want. And you haven't answered those prayers. And I'm tempted to give up on you or give up on prayer and just become a stoic. But God... I want to be like Hannah, and I want to continue to grieve. I don't know why you've held it back, God, but I'm still praying, and I'm still reaching, and I'm still seeking you in the midst of it. The third reason that we need to learn how to grieve and pour out our soul before God is sometimes we're grieving our own relational inadequacy. We can't be the spouse to our spouse that they need us to be. In fact, we see that with Elkanah. He starts off pretty brilliant, and then he kind of falls apart. Look what happens. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, great questions. Let's explore your emotions, honey. Uh, What's going on? Why do you weep? And why are you not eating? 
And why is your heart grieved? And at this moment, he's brilliant. Remember, this man loves his wife. That double portion, that flared nostril offering was, this is a man who loves his wife. But, as with a lot of us who care about our wives or care about our spouses, we are trying to fix it too. And this is an unfixable circumstance beyond his control. And so quickly he goes from doing the right things, exploring her emotions with questions, to getting, uh, taking it personal. Well, by the way, am I, am I not better than ten sons? I mean, come on, buck it up, buck it up. Let's just, could you be a little happier? And you know, we could condemn him for this, but we've all done it. We're frustrated by the circumstances and, and I can't fix it and I can't make you happy and couldn't me be just to be enough? And, and we don't know how to meet our spouse in their time, in their challenge, in their need. And often we have to go before God and say, God, I just want to grieve. I don't know how to be the spouse, the father, the son to a family member in my life that they need me to be right now. And God, I'm pouring out my soul to say, I need you to equip me. I need you to change me. I need you to help me. In fact, this last year, we had a, several couples came down and talked to me after a service, and they had just gone to the seminar we did, training couples on how to listen to each other and how to explore their own emotions. This one couple came down and said, listen, we've been talking about this for years, not really able to empathize the way we need, and that seminar that Kay and Milan did was just so helpful. I got it, and he got it, and he's like, I got it. For years, I thought she was trying to change me, that she wanted me to be something I wasn't. I'm realizing this is just a skill I needed and I had to grieve what I couldn't do and be open to what God might teach me to do. Or this year, this over the break, I got several letters. I'm not going to read them, but several letters from folks in the church who talked about their year from hell several years ago coming to Horizon. Times of unfaithfulness in marriage, difficulty. And how it was in the middle of all that pain and grieving of their marriage, grieving of a, dis, a disloyalty and a betrayal. They said it was... The work of God at Horizon, it was God speaking to us in that devastation that we learned to heal, we learned to forgive, and every week as we're coming to church, we're learning how to get closer to God and let God's forgiveness and healing come into our life. In fact, next week we have a family night, and at the family night, we're having the Linder Center of Hope come in, and I'm going to speak as well about how to help family members, teenagers who might be dealing with depression or discouragement, and not knowing how to grieve, and how to grieve with your kids. So if that's helpful to you next Sunday night at 6 p.m., we want to really talk about this idea of grief and meeting people where they're at. So those are some of the reasons we need to learn, you know, why it's important to grieve. But then how do we do it? Like, what does grieving look like? We're not really a culture that teaches us very well how to grieve. So imagine now Hannah and Elkanah have come to Tabernacle. And within the tabernacle is the holy place where the ark is. And as they've come near, this is as close as you get to God's presence. This is sacred space, God on earth. And the first thing we discover on how to grieve is we need to learn what Hannah knew how to do, which is how to experience bitterness with God versus at God. This is not a prayer like she's from the distance, oh God, I thank you that I'm here in Shiloh. This is a fall on your knees, crushed in God's presence kind of prayer. Maybe you've had a sitting by your bed, God, I do not know what to do. I cannot get out of this. I do not know what I'm supposed to do in the circumstance. And Hannah is here at Tabernacle weeping before the Lord. Look what it says. She was in bitterness of soul. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. This is the worst of the worst. This is just devastating to her. It's bitter and she's in anguish. But look at this. In her bitterness and in her anguish, she's still praying to the Lord. 
There's this temptation when circumstances don't change, when bad things happen, to get bitter at God and withdraw from God, say prayer doesn't work, I've been praying this for 20 years, you know, forget about it, I'll just sort of suck it up and deal with it. But God wants us to learn what Hannah knew. How do we be bitter with God? God, I'm bitter, and I'm in anguish, but I'm inviting you in. Be with me in my bitterness. Be with me in my heartache. Meet me in my pain. Meet me in my anguish. And you pour out your soul before God by refusing to be bitter at Him. Instead, be bitter with Him. And invite Him into your devastation and pain. The second thing is, in the midst of grieving, you invite God to look into your life. Which seems silly, really, because God can already look into your life. But God wants you and I to invite Him in. He's a gentleman. To rehearse the things that are, that are laid upon our heart, the burdens we're carrying. And, and that's exactly what she does. She says, God, I'm going to make a vow. Lord of hosts, and here's that word again, that name for God I'm going to talk about. Lord of hosts, if you indeed look upon the affliction, look what I'm going through, look what I'm suffering with, look at this rival wife, what she's doing to me, look at how long it's begun, year after year after year after year, remember me. Do not forget your maidservant, but give your maidservant a male child. And if you will... I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will come upon his head. The Canaanite razor, by the way, there's one they found from 3500 B.C. Just imagine that was how they shaved in those days. But she said, I'm going to make him a Nazarite. I'm going to fully dedicate him to the Lord. Don't think like Samson. Not supposed to cut your hair. Not supposed to drink alcohol. Not supposed to touch dead things. God, I... Look into my life. I need you here. I need you with me. And you can imagine her frustration, because again, she mentions this, this name again, the Lord of Armies. And the Lord of Armies is the word Adonai Tazat. It's the God is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies. God, you, you, I'm near the ark. You're the ark that took on the armies of, of Egypt, and you can't just give me a child? You ever felt that way with God? Like, God, all the things you've done, all the stories in the Bible, all the stories in the Old Testament in particular, all the amazing things you did, and you can't even just change my son so he'll stop being in that behavior. You can't just bring my, my daughter back who's in rebellion. You can't just give me a child or, or heal this little thing in my body. And in our grieving, we invite God to look into our life and to God to sort around and to walk with us in our life. And when you're in those moments of grieving, inviting God into your bitterness and to look into your life, it's easy to think, you know, the God of armies, apparently he fights for other people, not for me. What's wrong with me or what's wrong with God? You know, it never mind. But every once in a while, God gives you a glimpse. And he allows you to see that he's going to use you in your current circumstances and he's going to speak through your current circumstances and how you respond to glorifying him in that to speak to a louder audience. In fact, we see that in our third step on how that we can grieve, is that she was speaking in her heart to God. Now it happened that she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth, Eli's the priest, and Hannah spoke in her heart. There are times that the burdens, the, the challenges, the grievances, the difficulty you're going through, you can't even put into words. As Romans 8 says, you know, the Holy Spirit has to give you utterances that you can't even put into words. It's just like, Again, again. Really? 
And if you can't get the actual words out, just sighing before the Lord. I need you. Help. Help. God longs for those sighs. And every once in a while, you get a glimpse of how God may be using your story in a bigger way. Because you think Hannah would know that 3,000 years later, we would be studying her prayer and her sigh and her mumbling under her breath? Do you think she knew how many people would be impacted, how many people would trust, how many people would grieve, how many people would make decisions in their life because of how God would use her grieving that many years ago? I bet she didn't. And I bet you don't either. That you don't see the way you're walking through your circumstances, the way you're sighing but trusting, anguish but praying. God will use that to impact people for generations. I got a little glimpse of that over the, uh, over the, the break. I called up my sister. My niece just got an, a huge scholarship. She couldn't really co- go to the school. She got the biggest scholarship they'd ever given, and she still really couldn't afford it. Um, and so she came back, and they doubled it. Like, it was the biggest scholarship ever, and they doubled it. And they were just overwhelmed. And so I called to say congratulations and congrats to my sister and just how exciting that is. And my sister runs the park district. So a few, all the programs in the park district, we don't really have that here in Cincinnati, but all of the sports programs in the community are run by a park district in Illinois. And so all of the soccer leagues are run through here, all of the indoor soccer leagues, all the t-ball leagues, all the softball leagues, and on, on, on. So she kind of runs all those programs. And as we're about to say goodbye, hey, congrats on your daughter, you know, see you guys later. She says, can I tell you something? I said, sure. She said, some version of Chad, I am so proud of you. My little sister. I'm so proud of the way you and Beth serve and love in incredibly difficult circumstances. And I only see her like once every 18 months or so. She said, you know, I just see the challenges that you guys face with special needs and things like that. And I see the joy you bring into it. I see the, the things you're juggling. And I got to tell you, this totally changed the way we run our programs. I tell folks, you know, when you drop off, drop off a special needs child, you know, this might be the hour break that a family gets, and it might be challenging and difficult to figure out how to make it fit into our program, but we're going to do that. Because I tell you, she, also, she says to her team, you know, my brother and my nephew and my sister-in-law, I see the way they serve and love, and we're going to make that part of our program to serve the people in our community. And I kind of got emotional listening to it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I just gave me a little glimpse as to how God can use your current circumstances in ways you don't even realize to impact a bigger world. And I think we're going to get to heaven, and God is going to show you ways that you never imagined that he's using your story and your response to impact the people around you. So she's speaking in her heart to God. I think one of the things you need to realize is if you want to participate in grief and pouring out your soul is that grief is almost always misunderstood. In fact, that's the same thing here. Eli is watching her from a distance, and Hannah spoke in her heart. But remember, she, she's just kind of sighing. Her mouth's moving, but she's not saying anything. Only her lips moved, and she, her voice was not heard. So Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. She's surrounded by very sensitive men. Can I just say that? So Eli said to her, hey, 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 hey. You're going to be drunk in the house of God. Put your wine away from you. Now, here's the same priest you're going to find out that can't hold his own sons accountable for stealing and sleeping with the worshipers, but he's messing with a poor barren woman who's weeping. Come on, Eli, get with it. Now, she responds actually with quite a bit of grace. She says, 
No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I'm grieving. I haven't drunk wine or intoxicating drink. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint... Oh, there's so much going on. Out of the abundance of my grief, I've spoken until now. And to Eli's credit, he's like, oh, I am so sorry. I mean, you see almost a forgiving kind of spirit to him. But you need to realize if you're going to grieve, it's almost always going to be misunderstood. Because there's no right way to grieve. And the older you get, the more you have to grieve. The loss of things you used to be able to do and you can't do them the way you did. The loss of relationships or things you thought you had a vision for your marriage or family looking like this and it's looking like that. It doesn't mean the new thing isn't, can't be good and can't be joyful, but you have to grieve what should have been in your mind in order to embrace what could be. Grieving is an important part of maturity. And Eli says something pretty powerful here. He gives her peace. And that's our fifth part of learning how to grieve is to find shalom, peace in your current circumstances. See, there's this tendency to do one of two things. Either, God, if you're not going to answer my prayer, then you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to become stoic. I'm still a Christian. Still get me to heaven, but we're not close anymore. Or we surround God with, you know, God, we have you surrounded by Scripture. You have to do what we say. And if you're not that, I'm doing my part. You've got to do my, your part. And we kind of force God, find some new formula, some new Christian book to make him do what we want. It's hard to live in the messy middle to say, I, 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 God, you are still God, and I'm still going to worship you, even if you don't give me that thing I want. But I'm also not going to keep, I'm, I'm not going to stop asking. Because I, I want you to see that I want what you want, and I want the Lord of armies to be near me. And I want to wrestle with you. I want peace in my circumstances. If they don't change, and I still want to pray and say, if you'll change him, I want you to. But we're going to stay in the process of prayer. And he says, go in peace. Go in shalom. Take God's shalom with you into your current circumstances. And the God of Israel grant your petition. I'm praying that God will grant this prayer you have, which you have asked of him. And she said, oh, let your maidservant find favor. Remember, her name is Grace, which means unmerited favor. I just, I don't deserve it. God doesn't owe it to me, but I just love favor from God in your sight. So the woman went away, and she ate, and her face was no longer sad. Has her circumstances changed? No. Does she know for sure she can get pregnant? No. But she's been given, someone prayed for her, and someone said, God grant you shalom even in the midst of these circumstances. And knowing that God was with her is what gave her shalom. Now, what's our key takeaway? Of all these reasons we should grieve and how to grieve, I think it's back to that verse. Our key takeaway is, will you begin this year to pour out your soul before the Lord? Whatever your circumstances. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish, and she poured out her soul. Will you learn how to pour out your soul before God this year? That you'll pour yourself out before God. Remember my grandfather died when I was sixth grade. First person I ever cared about, you know, really knew that died. And I remember grieving a little, but, you know, kind of my parents pulled me away from the funeral because I was starting to cry, and that was fine. But I didn't realize I'd never really processed through that grief. Until in college, I was reading a kind of an untraveled book by C.S. Lewis called Severe Mercy. It's personal letters he writes to this couple dealing with some terminal uh, disease. And I remember reading this book in my college dorm room and all this grief from my grandfather from years earlier came out. 
And I remember just kind of getting weepy there in my, in, my, in my dorm. And I'm locking the door. Don't want anybody coming in to see me getting crying. But I remember God used that time of grief to bring healing into my life. Even this last year, getting counseling for, for hypervigilance and just a lot of stress has been on my life. It's been amazing how the healthy aspect of pouring anxiety, grieving through what can be and what maybe will never be, what, what, what's not going to be, has been a real healthy way that God has actually drawn near to me in tight places. Will you learn to pour out your soul before God this year? So let me tell you something amazing as we head into communion. Let's go back to this idea of the God of armies. Literally, Hannah is closer to God's presence on earth than any place on earth here in Shiloh. And yet she feels so far from him. You may feel the same way. But I'm going to invite the communion team to come and pass out the cup and pass out the bread. And I want to talk about this Lord of armies. Because God says in the book of Exodus that he is going to meet with the people between the two cherubim. So on the top of the ark were two cherubim. And God says, I meet you right here. I speak to you from right here. I fight for you from right here. I am available to you right here. What is right here, the place God fights for you? When you wonder why God's not healing, why God's not fixing, why God's not changing, God says, listen, it's not that I don't care about you because whenever you wonder what I have going on, you can look right here between the two cherubim. cherubim. This is where I fight for you, and this is called the mercy seat, the propitiation, that once a year a perfect bull would be brought and his blood would be poured out into this section right here on the ark. This is where God fought for you and I the most. Because between the cherubim is the mercy seat. And the blood of the bull would be placed here. And the angel's wings represented, or cherubim's wings rather, would represent God's judgment coming upon our sin and our waywardness and our brokenness. And the perfect blood of that bull would absorb the judgment. It would take the judgment on our behalf. So that we wouldn't have to face the consequences of what we had done. And Paul picks up on this and says that God is our propitiation. He fought for us at the cross. He grieved on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's there he fought for you and I by grieving on the cross so he could then say, I fought for you. It is finished. So hold on to that cup and hold on to that bread. And listen to this next song. I've listened to this song probably 200 times this year about a God who is with you and fighting for you in the present and in the future. In circumstances you understand and circumstances you can't understand. He wants to be your Lord of, Lord of armies and your propitiation. Listen, grieve together with us. still my soul the Lord is on thy side bear patiently 
the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways, leads to joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the Still, my 
It's only in the gospel that you can both struggle with God and still call him your God. Jesus on the cross says, you've forsaken me. But he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even though you've forsaken me, even though I don't understand, you're still my God. And God allowed himself to be forsaken on the cross so you and I would know that we're never forsaken. The Lord of army fights for us right there in the propitiation. Let us partake together our mercy seat. And the blood poured out by the bull was just a shadow of the ultimate new covenant of his blood. That God would let you know, whatever's going on, it's not that I don't love you. Whatever I can't explain to you about your circumstances, it's not that I'm not madly in love with you and for you. Let me fight for you as your forgiver. Let's partake. Father, thank you. This powerful story of Hannah and her ability to grieve and pour out her soul before you. God, we want to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Thank you for her story. Thank you for this new series. God, nudge us and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you head out today, I want to tell you three quick things. One, if you're interested in that family night, it's next week at 6 p.m. You can look at the notes in your program to get involved in that, if that's something that will be helpful. Number two, we're going to move from grieving this week to being thankful next week. So it's not always going to be a downer. So each week is going to be all kinds of different uh, emotions in this book. Looking forward to having part of that. And starting tomorrow, you'll be able to see this series on demand. So if this was helpful for you, if you want to pass that on or email it to someone, that will be available both on our website and the app. Thanks for being here. Join us next week as we continue. Speak. Your servant is listening.